You may be seated. Hey, we want to welcome you here today in person. If you're watching online, uh, we're thankful you're joining us as well. Last week, if you joined us last week outside, wasn't that a blessing? Let's praise God for that. That was, great. that was a great day. Here's the number one victory of that. We celebrated to not only community. When we go outside, you're more of a witness. And if people are listening in their backyard or anything, they heard that Jesus saved us through the cross in his death, brown resurrection. That was the victory. But here's the second victory. There was probably more than this, but we were able to identify the elders and the staff. There were eight family units that joined us again outside for the first time in 18 months. And I want to praise God for that, that they were able to return in that way. And I pray that they continue to return. Maybe you're watching online, you're considering uh, joining us. We're still worshiping at 8, 9, 30, and 11. So there's plenty of space right now if you're just uh, kind of easing back into that. But we welcome you. Another thing that's kind of getting back to normal is we're having home groups again for our student ministry. Uh, It's like youth group but in the homes. And they will meet on Tuesdays and Wednesdays uh, from 7.30 to 9. Uh, Tuesdays will be junior high. So if you've got a junior high student or know a neighbor, invite them to that. Check with Ben, our student pastor, Wednesdays, 7.30 to 9. Uh, this week is going to be at the Andrus House and the Graber House on those days. And, and man, we would love to have an ability to, to really uh, share not only with our students, but with their friends. So it's a great opportunity. Hey, did you hear about the farmer who needed to bring some new bloodline into his herd? Maybe you've heard this story. Uh, it was a pretty impactful story. But, but this is farmer, and he had about 90 cows, and he knew, knew he needed some new bloodline to come in. So he's talking to his farm manager one day in his backyard. They were kind of overlooking the herd. And he just said, hey, you've got to get me a new bull. We've got to get some bloodline in here. And he says, I, I want a different bull. I want it to be big, and I want it to be a Brahma bull. I, just, I need it to be a, a totally different bloodline. And so they agreed on that. The only problem was there were three bulls that were currently in the herd in the backyard of the pasture listening to this conversation. And uh, these three bulls began to discuss the dilemma that this entailed. And and the first bull said to the other two, he goes, you know, I've been here five years and we've only got 90 cows and, and only 50 of those cows are mine. And I don't like the idea of this at all. I'm not sharing any of my cows with them. We're going to give this bull a hard time when he comes. The second bull says, I totally agree. I've been here two years and and I've only got about 30 cows, and he's not having any mind. There's just no way about it. The third bull says, I ain't been here but about six months, and I've only got five cows that even like me. I'm not sharing one of them. So they agree they were going to treat this bull real harsh when he got there. The next day, big semi pulls up with the trailer. The end gate comes down the trailer, and the biggest, nastiest Brahma bull you've ever seen comes out of that trailer. This thing was four ton you know he was so tall he didn't have to look through the fence he flat-footed just looked over the fence of those cows he struts out in the pasture stomping and just making a stand letting everybody know who he is and he's in control all of a sudden the first bull turns to the other two bulls says you know I've been doing some thinking and it just ain't good of me to be thinking we're going to treat this noble this way I think I'll share some of my cows with him The second bull says, you know, I've been thinking too, and it's poor of us to have this attitude we've been having about this new bull. I think it'd be the best thing we just share with him. The third bull all of a sudden says nothing, just uh, comes out of a stall, starts stomping and snorting and making a big show in the middle of the pasture, uh, trying to uh, show as much as he can that he's in charge. And and the first bull cries out to him. He says, you crazy? That new bull is going to kill you. And the third bull says, I just want him to know that I'm a bull. Let that catch on for a second, okay? (laughs) You may have heard that before. Here's the reality. I wonder how many of you go through life 
trying to show that you're in control. Trying to prove that, that you belong, that, that, that your destiny is in your hands. Here's the, here's the reality. Have you ever stopped to think how much of your life is really out of your hands and in God's hands? How much of your life uh, is out of your control? For thousands of years, that has been a religious question that people have pondered. How much control does God have of our destiny? And how much control do we have of our own destiny? It's this theological principle of election and predestination. And this is a, a, a delicate subject. It's a subject that often is debated. Uh, long before we were alive and long after we are gone, until Christ returns, there's going to be a debate about who has control of our lives. Is it predestined? And for many of us at times, we will have conversations with well-meaning people, even other Christians in our own church, that can become awkward or divisive if we just use our opinions. It's dangerous to just throw opinions about this matter. Knowing the Core 52 content this week, the book we're going through, and knowing that it was about predestination and election, D. Arms, our associate pastor, came into my office on Monday morning. He says, Tyson... I see you're preaching on predestination this week from Core 52. Are you going to set everybody straight on predestination, right? And he just started laughing. He, and he left my office. I was like, man, that makes me feel a lot better, right? But D meant well with that. He understands, and him and I are on the same page. And please hear me. My goal and my ability to set you straight is not my intention. But my intention today is to lay a foundation, a clear foundation, and increase your faith in what Jesus says and what he's done for us. And so I pray in the future, when you have a conversation based on this tough teaching, that we don't always fully understand that we agree to disagree agreeably, that, that we're not divided on this matter, because it's beyond us. It's something that, that we can't always fully know, but we can know that God is sovereign. He's in control of all of this. Amen? That this is, this is something that we can trust him. Many of us oftentimes go through life thinking that we are in complete control, especially when you're young. It's kind of like you're driving down the road of life, you're looking through the windshield, and, and every decision, how fast you go, where you break, where you stop, if you turn left, if you turn right, is all on you. So sometimes we like to think that way. We, we believe that, that it's all in our hands. Our complete destiny is within our will. Until you get about my age or older and you start looking through life and you've realized how far you traveled and how blessed you've been and you look in the rearview mirror and you realize while you chose to go left or right, there were times where it was obvious God had protected you beyond your control. He had provided for you and at times he providentially guided you to a blessing more than you first realized. Now I want you to know this, we are responsible for our decisions I believe that the truth of God's word lets it clear. There is a responsibility in each of us, and we're going to see that today in the text. But the dilemma begins when we make all this question and we state things based on how we feel in our own emotion. When we've got to get back to the foundations that Jesus says in God's word. So turn with me to Matthew 22, to a passage of scripture where Jesus is laying the foundation for what many people believe, and you'll see by the end, this very topic. And the answers are found from within him. And some of them are beyond us, and we've got to be comfortable with that. God is sovereign. We surrender to him. Here's what Matthew 22 says. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, 
Jesus telling them stories. That, that was one of the reasons I sh- shared that silly story to start with. Uh, it has very little to do with the sermon, but sometimes stories draw us in, and Jesus tells perfect stories. He tells this perfect story uh, to show us a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven and how people get there and who's chosen and, and how people receive the, the gift. Here, here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. I mean, this, this was a great rejection of an invitation. They killed some of these guys. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the, to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find. The bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, that's a, that's a good image at this point. This celebration for the sun is completely packed. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man there was not wearing a wedding cloth. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. He didn't, have, he didn't even have an excuse. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is definitely a foreshadowing of eternal damnation, hell, that if you, are, if you don't accept and comply to the invitation in the proper manner, you're out. And he says this, for many are invited, but few are chosen. This last word chosen in the original Greek is the word that often divides us. It's this idea, are we chosen? Are we the ones that elected? In fact, Jesus says this, many are invited, but few are chosen. The Greek word here for chosen uh, can also be translated elected. It, it comes from the original Greek word electos. It is where we get the word elect. It is this, comp- this, this concept that there are people sometimes chosen specifically for a task. You're elected for just such a thing. In fact, it's only used 23 times. 16 of them, it's translated elect. And like here, it's, this time it's translated chosen. And this is where people like to argue that the election is predestined and we have no choice. Uh, but the, the, does the, real, the word really say that? There's this idea that, that if you're elect, you're chosen, and, and, and you don't have any say so one way or the other. But that's not what the kingdom of God says. So we can't impose that opinion on this. We just have to look to the facts. I want to share with you some simple foundation about the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus. The first is this, and this is an encouragement to me, and I hope you. Everyone gets an invitation. That's one of the first things I see from the story. Everyone gets an invitation. Now, not all at the same time, but everyone at the end gets an invitation. God is completely inclusive on who's invited to the kingdom of heaven. This is good news. God does not say, well, if you weren't born here, if you didn't come to Sunday school this many years, if you don't have this much money in your bank account, he doesn't have any limitations on who is invited to the kingdom. Everyone gets an invitation. That goes directly along with what Jesus said about his love for people. For God so loved the world, who's that? It's everyone, that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God does not say, well, you have to fit this mold, you have to be uh, this type of person. He says everyone is invited. The entire world has an opportunity. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter, God is patient with you, okay? So specifically he's talking to you, not wanting anyone to perish. So whoever you are, God doesn't want anyone, anyone to perish, including you, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is that everyone be saved. In fact, he says that in, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes, God wants everyone to be saved. I love it when God makes it plain and simple. His desire is to save everyone through Jesus and to know his truth and to understand the truth. The truth is Jesus. That's one of the reasons why the elders of this church has established a core value that seems so simple, but but it's so uh, congruent with the entire word of God that we have to state it. We value all people. All people. Uh, Not just people that grew up in the community grew up. Not people that uh, come from the lineage for this church. We value all people, all races, uh, all all backgrounds, all economic uh, status. We value all people. The world, though, tries to categorize people and emphasize our differences. But we need to be unifying and encouraging and seeking to evangelize all people. So let me put it in your hands. It's not just the elder's job or the pastor's jobs. We're to value all people and pursue all people with the invitation. So let me ask you this. How are you emphasizing unity where there is division currently around you? Maybe it's political division. Maybe it's uh, racial tension. Uh, Maybe it's uh, ideological uh, differences. How are are you living out a life that, that values all people to bring them to the invitation of Jesus rather than dividing them? And that's on us. It's on you and I. How are you encouraging people that have been pushed away at times who didn't feel like they were invited uh, at the first round? Many people feel that way. Well, I've never really been a part of a church. I don't feel like I'd ever fit in. Uh, I I don't know this Jesus like you do. Right now is the day that we need to be seeking those people. Because here's what I found. If we keep inviting the same people that used to be here, that aren't here anymore, by the way, you know, we're running about 70%. If we just go back to the people uh, that, that have faded away, which we will, but if we only go back to them, shame on us. We need to go to the world uh, like Jesus does. It's go to those people that have never been invited, the good and the bad, and invite them to know about Jesus. Shame on us if we go back to the same people and only those people. Because all people matter. What are you doing to encourage, to invite them, even when they're different, especially when they're different? So all people get an invitation, but not everyone gets the same invitation. This is, a hard, this is a hard truth of this text. Notice there were people that were automatically invited from the beginning. The invitation just went out to these people and they ignored it. You know who I think these people often represent in my mind? This is my opinion. This is not clearly from the word. But often these people that know they have an opportunity to hear about Jesus, people like you and I that get comfortable in church, and then we're distracted by everything. It says in the the Bible uh, that they did this and that. They, They went to their field. They went to their business. And they didn't come to the banquet. And God's like, they're out. You know, some of the people that need to be invited that will respond are the people that are looking for something. Not people that are so distracted by the things of this world that, that we pick and choose what we want to do. But not everybody gets the same invitation. We need to understand in the world we live in, it's messed up. It's not fair. There are people because of social dilemmas, uh, because of location where they've been born, because of uh, past spiritual uh, uh, commitments, 
and economic issues, they do not know about Jesus. So I'll just give you probably a really obvious example. If you're raised currently in the Middle East, let's say Iraq, your invitation, your opportunity to hear about Jesus is much less than if you were raised in Bond County or Greenville. If you're raised in this church, it is not the same invitation. It doesn't happen the same way. But, but more and more, God is declaring that all people are going to have an invitation. What are we doing to help that happen? And some of you are still thinking about that. It's, no, it's not fair. I was raised in a, a Christian community. Uh, it, it's not fair that someone that maybe was raised in an inner city or, or on the other side of the world doesn't have the same opportunity to hear about Jesus. That's not fair. Well, here's the reality. God is not fair. Andrea Andrews did a great job a couple weeks ago during communion. She stood right over there and said, God's not fair. And then she went on to explain, he's more than fair. He's completely gracious. We need to be thankful God is not fair. If you're struggling with this, no, Tyson, God's fair. No, God is not fair because if God were fair and did invited people to heaven based on who they were, you know how many people would deserve to go there based on fairness? Zero. Not one of us. But he's completely gracious in offering the opportunity to come to the banquet to everyone. God isn't fair. We need to understand this truth that God isn't fair. But he's completely gracious. You know why God doesn't have to be fair? For one thing, he's bigger than us. He knows us. And he, his, his graciousness is greater than fairness. Who does this parable say that God is? Who's the one that's God in this? It's the king. If you know history, kings don't have to be fair. But when a king is righteous and good, their orders are better than being fair. And that's who our God is. God is not fair. He's the king. Jesus isn't a socialist. He's our savior. And this is not a political statement. In fact, if you think Jesus and God can flip perfectly in, into any political party, you're wrong. They're beyond that. Yeah, they, they don't fit in any human effort because we're flawed. But he is greater than that. And the gospel won't make sense to everyone in the world. It's truth from the word. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1. The message of the cross or the good news is foolish to those who are headed to destruction. It doesn't make sense. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Here's what I would say about that. When you realize that not based on fairness, but based on his grace, he saves us. And we trust in his power. We know he's perfect. That is better than being fair. We trust in his power. We trust in his perfection. It goes beyond what we can understand. And the reality is not everyone receives the same invitation. But praise God, we all receive an invitation through Christ. But here's another truth in this story. Everyone must respond to the invitation. Man, I hope you've responded. You being here today is some indication of response, but until you accept Jesus as your Savior, there is not a full response. But the reality is everyone has to respond. What, what I see here that can't be ignored is there is a responsibility for every person who received an invitation to say, am I, am I going or not? Am I going to uh, uh, respond or not? And, and there are often a, a major indication of, of if you've responded or not is this, if you've responded to Jesus. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I wondered this week, and this is my own opinion, you know, the guy who didn't have the right clothes on for the wedding banquet? We, we don't, in, in Jewish culture, there would have been a specific thing you would have wore to the, uh, the wedding. Much like in our culture, you wear certain things to weddings that you don't wear other places. But in a spiritual sense, what we have to be clothed with is Christ. 
And the, if you haven't put Christ on, you're not ready for the party. You're not ready for the banquet. So if we show up, if we've responded, say we've responded, but God sees you haven't been made new in Christ, you're out. You can put all the fancy clothes on you want, makeup, cut your hair, do your nails, but if Christ is not in you, you're not in the party. So have you responded to him? Some of you say, well, I haven't responded yet. From what I see in this text, no response is a response because you're out. That's the reality of spiritual response. If you haven't responded to Christ as king, you're not in. So who and how are we reaching those who haven't responded? Here's something that really begins to blow my mind. If this hasn't already stretched your thinking a little bit, it's pretty obvious, but it's the next level. God knows who will respond. He just does. He knows the future. We see this all throughout the Bible. He, while he doesn't force you to respond, he doesn't manipulate to respond, he already knows if you'll respond. That doesn't mean he's making the choice for you, but he knows. That's why he's God. Uh, the Bible calls this foreknowledge. And the, all this literally means is he is knowing beforehand all things. First Peter, Peter writes this, to God, excuse me, to God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There's this reality that there's foreknowledge of who he elects, who he chooses. Does that mean he manipulates it? No. It just he knows. He knows everything. Man, I tried to trick God whenever I was probably 11 or 12, maybe 13. I did it a few times, and I was pondering it again this week about this idea that God has foreknowledge, yet I can still choose. For example, I can choose to raise my right hand. And I can think, okay, I'm thinking I'm going to raise my right hand. And I even say I'm going to raise my right hand, but then I do this. God knew that. And then I can say, well, I'm going to raise my right hand. And then I can have him thinking I'm going to raise my left hand because I just did that. And then I raise both hands. God knew all of that. What does that matter? It just looks, makes me look like a fool. But it's a reminder. God knew that, yet I can choose to do anything I want with my hands. And you may be confused right now, and that doesn't matter that much, what I'm talking about. He just has, he knows. God knows the future. Does that mean he predestines us without our choice? We don't see that in scripture, and yet he knows. He's beyond us. Does he, he lead some to eternal salvation, and yet demand some be condemned because that's what he wants? No, his will is for all people to be saved. So what's this concept of predestination? Does that, does that mean he controls it all? The word predestined in the Bible only appears six times. And it literally means determined beforehand. You're like, well, he determines everything. The Bible doesn't say that. He determines some things. He sets parameters. Uh, the, and, and the initial translation of this comes from this idea of horizon, setting boundaries. So uh, predestined means God sets boundaries to move towards him in salvation. Mark Moore put it this way, and it helped me understand it this week. Look what he says. God determines the boundaries beforehand of salvation. He sees who will respond. He knows it and who will not. His call, though, is to all. His election is, is for those he sees will step into his predetermined boundaries for salvation. We already talked. The main predetermined boundary for salvation is in Jesus. If you step away from that boundary, you're out. 
Are, are there other pieces of boundary? I think so. That you would say with your mouth that he's your Lord and Savior. That you would be willing to be baptized into him and put on his death and his life and be clothed with him. That you would repent of your sins. Those are other parameters that God sets up beforehand for those who choose him to then be blessed when we follow his predetermined boundaries. I hope that makes sense. But that's God's will. He gives us this opportunity to put on Christ. It says, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's what he's predestining us to do is to look like Jesus. He's not saying who's predestined to choose that, but that's what he wants. And that we might become a firstborn, that he might become the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And then Paul says, praise God for this. That he gives us parameters to accept the invitation and then to be blessed. Look what it says. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption. That's what he wants to sonship through Jesus Christ. It's all through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's will for us is to choose his son because he chose us. God chose us. This is the language of the Old Testament and the Israelites. God chose the Israelites early. They were the chosen people first. And now he's chosen anyone who accepts his son. He didn't choose the Israelites because they were uh, better looking or stronger or smarter. He chose them because of his love. In much the same way, uh, the word of God tells us that God first loved us, not because we loved him, but because he loved us. What a great thing that praise God for that he chose us. And he predestined us for what? A predetermined eternal destiny? Uh, uh, Without any choice of our own? No. Look back to Ephesians. It looks what it says in Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. He gave away the parameter in Jesus that we could become his children in accordance with his will. So who is this us? It says he predestined us. It says in Ephesians 1.13, here's the us. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, when you heard the invitation, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed what I'm, what I'm suggesting here, when you heard the invitation and received it, you began to fit into the parameters of the blessing. That's what predestination is. That he set up boundaries for you to be blessed according to his will. God is not saying here that some from the beginning are condemned and some from the beginning have life no matter what you do. No, you have a choice. You can either receive Christ or you can reject him. But it's your choice. Are you willing to fit into his predetermined plan to receive the good news of Jesus? God has predestined us to a blessing. It's our opportunity and our responsibility to respond. Let me explain it this way. This is a big concept, and I came up with an illustration this week that I've never heard before. First service, it worked okay, so bear with me for a second. I predetermined today before you came in to if people went within these boundaries to bless them. So I predetermined today that everyone who entered the sanctuary before the service started, that sat in the West Wing, so you guys are almost there, that sang during the worship songs and laughed at my first joke would receive a blessing. I don't know if you guys all qualify for all that. I don't know. Because not all of you laughed. Did you guys sing? We got it on videotape. Should I look at the tape or are you guys good? She sang. 
Here's the reality. I'll never know that, but God does. When he sets up a parameter, he knows all things. But here's the reality. Uh, based on my budget, I can't give you the, the kingdom of heaven and a pearl, pearl streets, but here's what I can give you, some Kit Kat bars. So I would like everyone over here to share a Kit Kat bar. Will you pass that out? Thank you. Uh, but this is a simple illustration to show, based on a predetermined boundary, everyone who entered into that would have an opportunity to receive a blessing. In much the same way, God has perfectly predetermined a boundary through Christ that if we enter through him, you can have the blessing of eternal life. Did any of you in any way have any manipulation that you should set here in the West Wing today? Some of you, it's your routine. Some of you, uh, you may have been asked by a friend, but in no way, shape, or form myself, as I predetermined the boundaries, manipulated their response. And that's the way God does, I believe. Does he guide us? Does he sometimes give us opportunity? Yes, but there's no manipulation on him to go within the boundaries. He lets us choose freely. And maybe next Sunday, more of you will sit in the West Wing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be that amazing if just by a simple illustration like that, more people would come to Jesus? Are we even telling him? Are we saying, hey, if you follow him, if you'll, if you'll trust in him, uh, you're, you're invited to the kingdom of heaven forever. This is, he predestined us for adoption, adoption as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus according to his good will. Have you responded? Maybe you still don't know about the invitation. Here's the simple invitation. God is allowing you to have forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven through Jesus as you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Have you responded? If you have, have you shared that good news with others? Here's the reality. Last week, many of you came and you were looking good. You had the Hope Changed Everything shirt. Here's what the Word of God says, though. If you wear that, if you have hope, here's what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. When you wear that shirt, when you have joy in your life, when people know you're different, they say, hey, why are you different? Why do you have hope? We need to say it's because of Jesus Christ. Always be ready to give an answer as his servants. We have a responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to proclaim the invitation to all that will listen to everyone we come into contact with. Jesus put it this way in his great command to us, great commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations because all people matter, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. When you put on me, he lives within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and we identify with him and we are in and we're to bring as many people as we can with us. That's our individual responsibility to invite more and more people to the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. It's also uh, the, the idea of the church family as a whole to partner with people that are doing that really well to align with missionaries and support them who are going to all nations that we may never travel and continue to invite more and more people for the sake of the kingdom. That's what servants do. So today, Megan Schreiber is here and she is the, the United States primary representative. She coordinates everything on the U.S. side with Haitian Christian Outreach. And she's here to give us a, an update. And I am so thankful for the things I'm hearing that's going on in Haiti through the Haitian Christian Outreach. Guys, COVID hit them hard, just like it did us. They've had political unrest in the country. They've had disaster. And the Christian uh, outreach there in Haiti has continued to do amazing things. 
So would you give her your attention? And let's thank her for being here and giving so much of her life to make this possible. Praise God for <laughs> Megan. Okay, I guess I just have to talk louder. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you so much for having me here this morning. Uh, I'm going to start off with a little Creole lesson. So if you would repeat after me. Bonjour. Comment? Ouye. Now that you all know Creole, you can all come to Haiti and serve with us. <laughs> that is, good morning, how are you? I'm happy to see you. Um, so I myself have traveled back and forth to Haiti for 12 years now. My husband and I uh, first traveled uh, right before the earthquake, and we left pieces of, of ourselves there. Um, and so we knew any time God opened that door, uh, we were going back. Um, I have had the opportunity to partner with Roro and Aline through Haitian Christian Outreach over the last several years, and I am just astonished um, to see the way that they have persevered through the call that God has given them um, and through everything that has happened in Haiti over the last 36 years of ministry that they have been doing in Haiti. I'm gonna, I have a little video that I'm going to share with you about some ways that you can help to bring hope to Haiti, um, ways that you can help to provide that invitation uh, to those that we serve, whether you are uh, one day coming to Haiti or if you are serving in a capacity that keeps you here. Both are amazing. Um, both are our call uh, to help our brothers and sisters. Um, but before that, I want to lead you in a little uh, survey, and it is participatory, so please raise your hand um, so that we can have a visual reference. Of those in the room who are of school age or who had gone to school, how many of you went to school or are in school? Okay, so look around. Go ahead, keep your hands up, look around. If you went to school or you are in school. Okay. As of 2018, only 60% of all school-age kids in Haiti attend school. So a little over half of this room um, would go to school in Haiti. Of those of you who raised your hand, how many of you either were um, concerned that you wouldn't go past the third grade or didn't pass the third grade? I passed the third grade. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'm just being an example. I did pass the third grade. It was, it was. My parents wondered, really. So, okay, so in Haiti, um, only 60% of the kids who are in school will go past the third grade. And that could be for a multitude of reasons. Um, they are required to pay to go to school in Haiti. The government um, does require them to do that, although 85 to 90% of the schools in Haiti are privately run and privately funded. Um, of those who passed the third grade, how many of you thought that you would not pass or go past or stay in school past the sixth grade? I did go past the sixth grade. Okay. So 60% of those kids who make it past the third grade will only, only 60% of those kids will make it past the sixth grade. 
So school is a huge blessing and opportunity for our kiddos uh, in Haiti. They are the future of Haiti. With HCO and the six schools that we currently support, we are educating approximately 1,600 students. Right now, only 530 of those students are sponsored, which leaves a big gap for those kiddos who are not sponsored to possibly fall off and become that statistic. We want to change that in our schools, but we can only do that through your help. And so with this video that I have, it'll give you a little idea of why it's so important, and it'll give you an idea of how you can help extend that invitation of hope um, to those that we're serving.
I can't help but realize that those children that you just saw in the video are kind of like that third round of people in the parable, and they've heard the invitation, and many of them have responded. Let's praise God for that. They've been invited. You can be a part of that. There were, there were pastors and church members from this church that have already been there to help. In the video, you saw others. You, you can actually go and make an impact. You're like, man, I really can't do this for some reason. Here's what you can do. For 65 cents a day, you can have a part of inviting one of these children to know Jesus. They're doing amazing things well beyond what she told you about today. They have a, a medical surgic, uh, surgical center right, right there. Uh, they, they are uh, training and, and churches are growing. They're baptizing people. Uh, like we haven't seen the United States in years. They are doing things for the sake of Christ that are amazing. And I invite you to partner with them, to be in, involved in inviting others. But you know what? Even more important than that, we got to go back to where we live here. There are people right here in Bond County that need the invitation of Jesus. All around the world, all people matter. Maybe you're here today and you've realized, I haven't accepted the invitation yet. Would you stand with us? And we're going to sing in just a moment. But if you said, I, I've not responded, that is a response, and you are out. Uh, most of you here today probably have responded. You may represent this room, but there's probably four or five, like over here, instead of responding, you haven't responded. Why are you waiting? Because remember, if we don't respond and be clothed with Christ, you will be cast where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. That's why it's so important. You may say, Tyson, well, you've confused the matter thoroughly for me today on predestination. Man, remember one thing. God is king. Jesus is our savior. And as we submit to him, actually, it's three things. If we submit to him, we surrender, make him our cornerstone, we're okay. We're good. And we can celebrate. Father in heaven, today, if there's someone here that needs to accept you as their savior and king of their life, Lord, I pray they would do that through Jesus. Father, let us then go out of servants, as the parable says, and invite others, invite others, and let your kingdom banquet be full of people who trust and claim Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.